Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's November 11th, 1946, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Nice idea, shame about the execution, would probably be my verdict on Stevenage in Hertfordshire, <laughs> uh, designated as Britain's first new town today in history in 1946. Now, the idea of the new towns was to replace the housing stock that had been destroyed by Nazi bombs in London and provide those displaced Londoners with more affordable homes and cleaner air. And in Stevenage, England's first pedestrianised city centre, like I say, nice idea. Unfortunately, they clad it all in concrete. (laughs) And locals were understandably not happy about this because despite the name, the towns were not really new. What Mm. happened was that an existing village would basically be seized upon and that would be used as the nexus for gigantic concrete modernist monstrosity to be built around (laughs) it. So Stevenage was an ancient village. It's in the Doomsday Book. And locals didn't really want this to happen, understandably. But their opinions were given astoundingly little weight. They were basically told piss off it's happening you know 6,000 acres were ceded under compulsory purchase yeah you think about the fact that there were 6,400 people that was the entire population of Stevenage at the time and they were talking about moving in another 60,000 and it's not surprising that the chap who was the great advocate for it Lewis Silken who was the minister of town planning for the then Labour government his enthusiasm wasn't quite being reciprocated by the people who he was about to just completely, well, level the ground around the existing town so as to make way for this huge uh, new development. And in a bid to express that feeling of powerlessness, residents actually changed the railway station's signs to Silkengrad for the arrival of Lewis Silken <laughs> on his arrival in, in town one December night in 1946. But when he met the protesters, this was his reply. He said, it's no good you jeering, it's going to be done. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, those people who were living in close to to London rural countryside were probably not Labour voters, let's be honest. Mm. And so, you know, what they, I think to be fair, were right about, I mean, what they sort of cracked onto was that what he was doing was building a, a Labour voting enclave in Hertfordshire. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that's why Labour built it there, because obviously there was a need to house thousands of people. But the point is, they were obviously working class people. Um, you know, that class element 
was part of the resistance. And also the high-mindedness with which they approached the project. You know, they had this sense that it was going to be a revolution, not just in British town planning, but in global town planning. Silken said, Stevenage will in a short time become world famous. And ministers had a sort of laudable ambition, which was to provide everyone with a decent home. And new towns were kind of their solution to this. That, you know, there was this big sort of shantytown existence that lots of people were experiencing. And some of the residents who moved to Stevenage were saying things like, I actually just want a home with running water. And the concerns over the problems of urban living, overcrowding, poor sanitation, you know, they go back hundreds of years to the Industrial Revolution, really. But the solutions also go back almost as far. So there's a really interesting echo of Lewis Silkin's perspective in an essay that was written in 1695 by a Quaker reformer called John Bellers. He was very progressive. And there's what an did he say? Thing you know what this town needs? A big concrete clock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, he didn't think that. But the interesting thing about this essay, it was called Proposals for Raising a College of Industry of All Useful Trades and Husbandry, was that it inspired a variety of things that are very different. So on one hand, it inspired the workhouse. You know, sort of, you know, what they, you know, why am I trying to sugarcoat it? That you could take the rabble and you could put them in a, in an enclosed space and you could make them more productive, more industrious, more moral mm. by giving them simple food, physical labour in the fresh air. And obviously what went on to be the workhouses didn't really accomplish that, but they had their roots in this idea that that was the best way to deal with the problem of the poor. But also this same essay went on to inspire the idea of model communities. Yeah, but what's so irritating is that between that and the creation of the new towns in the 1950s and 60s, you actually had a model in the form of Letchworth Garden City at the turn of the century and then Welling Garden City after that, both very close to Stevenage, literally the next stops on the train line, which are better. I mean, they, they're still kind of flawed utopias. Like you'd still these days have big empty factories mm. and, you know, most of the people who live there commuting into London to work but they are pleasant to be around because of that word garden. Yes. Like Ebenezer Howard, when he created Letchworth Garden City, realised, yes, we need modern infrastructure, home of the world's first roundabout, everybody, but also, you know, let's put trees on the boulevard because that makes people happy. Let's put the cinema right in the middle of the town so that people can walk there next to the train station. Yeah. Let's make sure that the pubs are spread out so there's one on every corner, etc., etc., etc. And all those lessons somehow got forgotten about <laughs> in the rush, basically, to accommodate people after the war. Stevenage is literally grey. Yeah. It is so grey that you, if you see photos of the town centre in winter, it literally looks like it's been taken in black and white. That's how grey it is. Well, I mean, that's partly because of the prevalent design aesthetic that coincided with this moment, which was modernism. But also this was kind of the antithesis of how British towns generally came about historically. You know, traditional British towns and cities tended to grow up organically around a particular function, a church or a cathedral or a port or a university or whatever. And then you'd have these kind of higgledy-piggledy streets that would develop away from that function and into the suburbs. But a lot of these new towns lost that sense of individualism and historical purpose that towns that evolve more organically just have baked into them. Yeah, and attractions. There wasn't a leisure centre or a theatre in Stevenage until 1974. Wow. The culture there was shopping. Right. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, if you look at the Pathé newsreels from the time, it's literally housewives shopping look utopia you can walk to the shop through a pedestrianized city center but it's literally that's all there is to do and there wasn't even a hospital until 1972 
People just died. You're like, yeah, you can go to the shops or you can die. They just collapsed in the co-op. But I think that hits onto what makes these kinds of towns depressing, aside from the visuals of the concrete. But people didn't know how badly it was going to denigrate. That's yes. the issue, right? It's yeah. like rain streaks, con- concrete. Yeah, yeah. They, they start to look so run down and the concrete looks kind of stained and depressing and it doesn't have that futuristic glow about it anymore. But what makes the towns depressing, and I'm not depressing to everyone, no denigration to anyone who lives there, but... I feel like there's an element where they are spiritually depressing in the sense that they were centred and planned around making a certain kind of life convenient. Mm. You know, one of a nuclear family, a wholesome community. You've got mum who goes to, you know, she mum uses the underpass to go to the shops while <laughs> dad drives down these very straight grid roads to work. Mm, yeah. You know, and it's all centred around a certain kind of family and family life, which obviously worked really well for lots of the families that moved there, but also... As that vision of a nuclear family and a very sort of 1950s stereotypical kind of life, as that vision has been tainted by disillusionment from the late 60s onwards, has that disillusionment with that kind of society kind of rubbed off onto these yeah. urban centres that were designed to facilitate well, it? Well, I mean, the, the proof to an extent is in the pudding. You know, 32 of these new towns were built and now have a combined population of over 2.7 million people, more than 4.5% of the UK's households. And in 2015, the Town and Country Planning Association did this survey to ask what images new towns conjured in the popular imagination and suggested, quite leadingly, modernist housing estates, bleak architecture, roundabouts. <laughs> but actually, the, the responses that they got back were from people, many of whom had actually lived and grown up and been born in these towns who said this is kind of like these jokes have been devised by people who haven't actually lived in these places and actually they're you know they're thriving communities these days uh, Stevenage itself now has over 80,000 people so you know it, it it exceeded in some ways Silken's vision. Yeah although they did have to build a few of those sort of anchor reasons to be there. Stevenage is now the headquarters of the Wine Society, for example, right. and Airbus and GlaxoSmithKline. So there are reasons to live and work in Stevenage because there's big companies there. Mm. Stevenage just never had any sass. Mm. Like, it just feels like a place you've been shipped to. <laughs> I'm just cautious that you've immediately pissed off at least 80,000 people <laughs> in one fell swoop. <laughs> <laughs> I should out myself at this point by saying that I've spent a lot of uh, pleasurable hours in Stevenage. Uh, I went there to play Quasar, laser tag, for people's birthdays. Uh, my 11th and 12th birthday were in the uh, now defunct uh, American theme restaurant Cody's, which was in the pedestrianised city centre. Uh, and I did my driving test in Stevenage, which was a nightmare because it's largely roundabouts. So I sort of have a soft spot for Stevenage. I bought all my favourite records in the R price in Stevenage. <laughs> Is that good enough for you? <laughs> it's almost too much. I, want, I love Stevenage. I want Stevenage's babies. I want you to listen to 50 more memories you have of Stevenage. And so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.